This morning's reading is James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Favoritism forbidden. My brothers and sisters, believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, my brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, a rich man, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit by on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But have you dishonored the poor, if not the rich who are... Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? They are not the ones who are dragging you into court. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, your sin You sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, but also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. And now, as Chris comes up to read the scripture, just a very short prayer. Okay. So we... Just pray this morning, Lord, that you're with Chris when he gives your word to us and just pray that he um, touches us with his wisdom and with your words. Amen. Amen. So, um, the next instalment of James. I expect you've been on your edge of your seats each week thinking, oh my crikey, what's he going to say this week? So, this week we're looking at favoritism banned. Now, um, if I could have uh, the slides up, that would be great. Um, So I looked at this passage, I looked at James with uh, Braintree Baptist Church, where I was before uh, we went through it one time, and I decided to do something that I hadn't done before. I'd seen it done in America, and I thought, maybe it would work here in England. And um, what I decided to do was this. Um, And some of you may have seen these pictures before, but I decided when I 
preached on this passage, and I was close to thinking of doing the same today, but I didn't, to dress up as a homeless person. Uh, And obviously, you can be very stereotypical about homeless people. Actually, as we heard from Anne last end of last year when we supported Hope Into Action, which we've got leaflets for on the table, I'd encourage you to, to look into that. Um, you know, homelessness covers a whole array of things and, and not one person looks the same. But I dressed up like this. I think I had a, a can of Strongbow, which I didn't open, um, but it was, it was next to me. And I sat on the wall outside the church. I got there extra early. It was pretty cold and windy that morning, I can tell you. And what was really interesting is that when, as I walked, uh, I walked from my house to the church, which was a good 10, 15 minute walk. Um, And the people that I encountered along the way, it was just really interesting to see how they responded to me. In fact, one person, well actually a few people, I remember actually walked off the path as they were coming towards me onto the road and walked right around me um, back onto the path. And I sat Um, outside, on the church wall, um, in the car park, um, like that, with my head sort of low. And I watched, as people arrived at church, how they would respond to me. And it was very interesting. Now, I understand that if you see, if we could have the, the, the photos up again, if you see someone who looks a bit like this, okay, um, you're thinking, uh, no, I'm not going near that person. Okay, fair enough. And I, I appreciate that, you know, for some of the um, parents with children, they were being very cautious, understandably. Um, at one point, when Kate, Kate knew I was doing it. I hadn't told any of the others, not even the leadership team, because I wanted to see how this went down. Um, When um, my children arrived with Kate, uh, Emma, with a sort of half glance, thought it was me, began to run towards me and then realised, whoa, who's that person? And then suddenly backed off and went in the church feeling a little bit confused. Now, it was really interesting uh, just to see the response that we got. I had one of the uh, leaders, uh, several of the leaders, which cheered my heart greatly, come over to me, ask if I was okay. You know, did I want to come in? Did I want a coffee? Did I want to use the toilet? I was really encouraged by that. In fact, one of my leaders, bless his heart, Binny, he was a very, very, he's a very spiritual chap. And he just sort of got straight to the point, you know, he was like, right, I'm going to pray for you. Do you want prayer? I'm going to pray for you. I was like, okay. So he started praying for me. Anyway, after, after the service later on, when he realised uh, what it was, he came back to me and said, oh, do you know, I'm so glad it was you. I was praying. I was getting nothing. I, I, I re- usually I get, I, I get a picture, I get a word. I got nothing. I got absolutely nothing when I prayed for you. I couldn't understand what was going on. And I said, yeah, sorry about that. But basically, what happened was I got invited into the church. So I asked if I could use the toilet. They said, that's fine. I went into the toilet just before the service started. And I changed into my normal attire. So I looked more like I do today. 
and I proceeded to, to preach on this passage. And as we talked about showing favoritism to the rich over the poor um, and based on people's looks, um, I said, you may, I said, what are the chances? You may have seen this morning that there was a homeless person outside the church building. Did, did you see him? And people were putting their hands up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I said, well, it's interesting because, um, yeah, just bear with me. And I, I started to get out my costume and bit by bit I started putting it on and a number of their faces just dropped they just like oh my goodness that was our pastor oh my goodness and then they were you could just see cogs going around going how did I respond to him how did I even say hello I don't think I even said hello I didn't even acknowledge him I ignored him oh my goodness it really encourage people to really search their heart and think, how did I respond to that person I didn't know? Now, caution, obviously, if you don't know someone, you've got children, caution, of course. But how we respond to people, however they look, is so important. And we're going to be thinking about that today. You know, judging others, as Kim mentioned earlier in the service, we all do it. We all do it. Sometimes we do it unconsciously. We just, you know, a tenth of a, was it one tenth of a second, and we've done it. Um, If we could have the um, slides up again. We live in a world which encourages judgment without mercy. Many of you are Strictly fans, I assume. Hands up if you're a Strictly fan. Yes. See, I was more of an X Factor fan, sorry, so I never really watched Strictly. Um, But you have X Factor, The Voice, Strictly, Dancing on Ice, which is starting again. They all have a panel of judges, don't they? And we are encouraged ourselves to vote or to judge the participants too. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen Gogglebox. Hands up if you've seen Gogglebox before. Not so many of you. But Gogglebox, <laughs> it's, on paper, it looks like the, the, most, the worst idea for a TV, reality TV series. But basically, the premise is this, okay? You're watching people watching TV. It's great, isn't it? Well, it sounds awful, but actually, Kate and I have really enjoyed watching it because you get to see their reaction to the TV uh, programs. And, uh, you know especially when they're watching reality TV shows or talent shows, just the way they go, oh, so-and-so's this, oh, no, they're rubbish, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And we all watch it, and we all think, that's exactly what I'm like when I'm watching TV. I mean, I'd love it, I'd love it if we could have a little camera on everyone's TV and just see what we say in front of the TV as we watch it. It's so easy to judge people on their outward appearance, on first impressions, depending on what clothes they're wearing, their speech, their smell, their appearance, what paper they're reading, what they eat or where they shop. Unlike us, thankfully, God does not judge by the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. You may remember um, when David was chosen as the next king, Samuel went to anoint the next king and um, the brothers were lined up and they were strong and they were strapping and any one of them would, would have been a favourite for Samuel. But God said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance, this is the one that he was, uh, one of the brothers he was looking at, or his height, 
for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God is the only one truly qualified to judge, to judge fairly. For he is the only one who is truly righteous, the only one free from sin, and the only one who can see within. You know, on a Sunday morning or at work or wherever you might be, it might well be very easy to fool someone by what you're wearing, just like I did when I dressed as a tramp that Sunday morning. But God looks at the heart. There's no, you know, you can't pretend with God. He sees it all. He knows it all. Um, Even before a word is on our tongue, he knows it completely. That's what Psalm 139 says. And we're told throughout scripture that God does not show favoritism. And this is why James says, brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism favoritism. Uh, In the NRSV translation, it suggests James is asking a question. So it would read like this. My brothers and sisters, do your acts of favoritism really show you believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you did believe in Jesus, you would not be acting in the way you are by elevating the rich in your presence and disregarding the poor. Is this how your saviour, Jesus Christ, acted? Is this what he taught you? No. So why do they do it? Why do we do it? Well, often, some of us can give preferential treatment to the rich and famous because we hope somehow to get something out of it for ourselves, whether we're aware of it or not. Whether it's elevating our reputation or fame or whether it's the hope of some financial benefit or perhaps some other reward by associating ourselves with these people. But here's the thing. The poor have nothing to offer us. There is no prestige or honour or earthly reward for us elevating them or fussing over them. James reminds the believers that it's the poor that God has chosen to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him because they have need. They know they need God. But if you take a quick look, a quick glance at the book of James or the whole Bible for that matter, it would be easy to draw the conclusion that God does favour the poor over the wealthy, that he does indeed show favouritism. I mean, James is certainly not holding back on the rich here, is he? But I think, as we said earlier, that this is more to do with a heart issue You can be outwardly poor and very ungenerous in your heart. You can be outwardly rich, but very generous in your heart towards people. I think there is a heart issue going on here. But as we look 
a little closer into things, into this passage as we were encouraged to do last week. You remember looking a little bit more intently? We discover that back then, when James was writing this, as often the case now, those who were rich were often those in power. For money makes the world go round, doesn't it? And so the rich get all the benefits in this life, the private health care, the mansions, the clothes, the cars. They also get the high positions in society and are often able to get what they want when they want it. Money equals power. And so people do what they ask. And so James brings this reality home to them. He says, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? In societies where there is corruption, more often than not, it is the rich who operate the justice system to their own advantage. They can hire the best lawyers. They can even bribe the judge. The rich get their way, but the poor, well, they just have to lump it. They don't get to decide what happens. They have no power or control. They are at the mercy of others. And that was certainly the case in James's day. Yet God's kingdom coming through Jesus was one where the marginalised and the poor were welcomed, were elevated, were loved, because they are dear to God's heart. And James is encouraging them and us to remember that they are now serving King Jesus, who is now ultimately in charge, that they are participating in God's kingdom, his rule and reign, not the worldly powers of wealth and fame, It is Jesus whom they should be seeking to serve and imitate. And he gave them the royal law of loving your neighbour as yourself. And one of the ways that Jesus helped us to think about this was through the story of the Good Samaritan of which many of us are really familiar. But I think it's really interesting to look at how that that whole section opens up. So I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law, and I think that's important to remember, an expert in the law, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus Jesus answered, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, 
They went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And I really believe that this is the crux of what James is saying here. This is where it flows from. You know, it was the unexpected person who helped the man in need. In fact, Samaritans and Jews, well, they were enemies. The beat-up person was completely in need. There was nothing that he could do to help himself or repay those who did help him. He was at the mercy of others, like the poor often are. And the Samaritan was commended for his mercy. When James references the royal law in verse 8, loving your neighbour as yourself, he will no doubt have been thinking of Jesus' teaching. But each But such teaching was rooted in the law of Moses. This command has always been there. And James directs his hearers back to the law of Moses, which they would have known very well, to remind them that favoritism is unlawful. In Leviticus 19, it says, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbour fairly. Exodus 23 says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd and do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. Judge your neighbour fairly. As many of you know, um, the last two weeks I've been on jury service. Uh, I got called three years ago and nothing happened. I was just waiting around most of the first week. So when I went the other week to go for jury service, I didn't have high hopes, and I thought that it was just going to be another waste of time. Thankfully, it wasn't. I got called onto the jury. And though I can't talk to you about, obviously, all the stuff that went on, it was really interesting that when it came to us deliberating as a jury, um, it was very clear in the instructions that we were to set aside all emotions, negative or positive, or any sympathy, and make a calm, rational, 
analysis based on the evidence. And this is, this is what flows out of the law of Moses that I've just read. This is what flows from judging your, no, treating your neighbor as you would like to be treated. It's making sure that we don't just make snap judgments, that we're not discriminating or favor, you know, making others favorites over others. James says, if you're showing favoritism to some and discriminating others, you have sinned and you have broken the law of Moses. And he backs this point up by saying, whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. He then uses the example of God commanding us not to commit adultery or murder by saying, if you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Now there is a logic here that James is pressing. The law of God, the commands of God are all from God and are all valid and interlinked. And thus if you break one part, you break it all. End of. Now people have used the illustration of a sheet of glass. If it gets chipped or slightly cracked, then the whole sheet of glass is broken. James wants his hearers to hear once again that showing partiality, particularly to the rich over the poor, is a sin. And if they do this, then they are lawbreakers, just as much as an adulterer or a murderer. Now, we like to elevate some sins over others, don't we? And we can imagine that showing a bit of favoritism should be way down on the list below murder or adultery. But James is reminding us, a sin is a sin. And if we do sin, we've broken the law. It's broken, just like that sheet of glass. Now, at this point of the sermon, we're left in a quandary, aren't we? Because if we follow James's logic, then we are all lawbreakers. We've all shown favoritism to some uh, over others. We've all got prejudices. We've discriminated at times, often without realizing it. We're not, we've not always loved our neighbor as ourselves. And so we find ourselves in quite an uncomfortable and depressing place right now because we know that we are lawbreakers, according to James, and that's not a comfortable place to be. But thankfully, James doesn't leave us there. Both at the beginning of this passage and at the end of it, James is seeking to remind us of whose we are. Remember, brothers and sisters, you are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. You were welcomed into the family of God by his grace and mercy through Jesus. You were lost, but now you are found. You were blind, but now you see. We must not forget how merciful God has been to us through Jesus Christ. That through Jesus' Christ's death and resurrection, we have been saved from our sin. We have been called out of darkness into his glorious light. If we could have the um, slide, please. 
And you may remember that when we looked at Exodus 34 last term, we looked at the fact that God's baseline emotion towards us is mercy. Do you remember that? You remember Nineveh? They committed such atrocities, but when they repented, God showed mercy. He's so merciful. So yes, God's mercy triumphs over all things, as James says. Out of his love for us, he has saved us. He has forgiven us. He set us free. But such freedom is not given so that we can then act as we like with no regard for others. Though mercy triumphs over judgment, we will be held accountable for how we treat one another. And James goes on to explore this at more depth later on. And he says in verse 13 that judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And again, this flows straight out of the teaching of Jesus. If we're going to love like our heavenly father, then we don't get to play favorites. Grace and mercy must abound. If we can have the slide up again. I saw this quote, and I can't remember who, who said it. You've probably heard it before, but I love it. The only time you should look down on someone is when you are helping them up. I like that a lot. I like that one a lot. How we treat each other is so important. Jesus said, didn't he? The golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated. We need to be reminded that we are not just part of a faith community, but the whole human community of Histon and beyond. God is the God of all people. He makes the sun shine on everyone, the righteous and the unrighteous. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. That's what James said in chapter one, wasn't it? Every person is made in his image and is precious to him. And so they should be precious to us. And Jesus said, didn't he, not long before he had a meal with his disciples for the last time, he said, the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. To love without discrimination, to love the loveless, the rejects, to serve the poor and to care for them, to elevate them. We are called to be different distinctive. We are called to be children of God. But if we look just like the world in every way, then where is the distinction? Someone once said, don't let your faith become so private that is of no public use. I like that one. Don't let your faith become so private that it is of no public use don't be like the holy people in the parable whose private faith was faith was of no use to the man 
dying before them. To love like God is a costly affair. It goes beyond sentiment and niceties and requires costly, sacrificial, practical action to meet someone's needs. And as we come to the table today, we are reminded of Jesus' willingness to lay down his life for us. And this was done because God so loves each and every one of us. So we're going to have a song before we come to communion, which just reminds us that just as that man who got robbed on his way, left for dead, the Samaritan had great mercy on him. He received grace. And so we're going to remember how much grace we have received through Jesus Christ.